I want you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. I never get as far as I think I'm going to get, but it's okay. You know, when we finish this, we're going to start something else, so there's not really a race we're in. As long as God's speaking to us, amen? And He is. In Hebrews chapter 9, uh, I'm going to read a little bit, just the first few verses, probably 1 through 5. Let's read that, and then we'll talk about it. Everything about Jesus is better. That's our theme. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Uh, again, the, the, the comparison is between what was offered, uh, the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, the priests of the Old Covenant, the priesthood of the Old Covenant. Today we're going to look more at, at the, uh, the tabernacle of the Old Covenant as opposed to the real tabernacle, which is the heavenly tabernacle. And last week, y'all, I thought, uh, to me, I know they've all been wonderful, but to me was like a, a key message in this study on Hebrews. Not that it was the best or anything like that, but I really spent a lot of time, I think the Lord wanted me to, uh, talking about the law and the purpose of the law and the difference of the law, what were the weaknesses of the law or the weakness of the law, and talking about that and comparing it to what we have in Jesus, just specifically the law. We all know, I think a lot of what we have come out of recently in our Christian lives and just in the Christian world today, we talk to friends in other states that are part of other churches and and, uh, they're getting into New Covenant theology, which sounds wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful, the New Covenant. But the New Covenant theology is not good. And we're hearing about different things and we're reading about different things. And we've experienced it ourselves and sat under teachings and messages where there, there seems to be uh, a disdain for the Old Testament as a whole or the law that was given. And I just don't think, and I know I've said it, I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's the right spirit or attitude at all. I can say it honestly, I'm not one-tenth of the man that David or Moses or Isaiah or Samuel or these people were that lived under the Old Covenant law, the Old Testament law. And they loved it. And they were thankful for it because they understood what it was about. And they could still have this intimate relationship with God and not trust in the law to be their Redeemer. They trusted in God to be their Redeemer. And trusted in God to be their righteousness and to provide that righteousness. I always think of that that scripture where David says, uh, "Sacrifices and burnt offerings thou wouldest not, you know, or I would give them to you." I know I'm combining two psalms here, really, but really he said, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise." But yet he loved the, tab- the temple or the tabernacle in his day. He loved going into the sanctuary of God. He loved the laws of God, the precepts of God. He said, by it, you know, you've led me and guided me. Before I knew your word, I went astray. And you afflicted me and taught me through your word. And uh, he just talked about how wonderful it was. So I just think it's right 
Do you understand that everything in Jesus is better? It's better because He was the promised One that all those types and shadows and figures foretold would come. And He did come and He fulfilled it. And like Matthew Henry said, that uh, the Old Covenant is no more of no more use in Gospel times, that's our times, than candles are when the sun has risen. Okay? And you just picture it. And I, I used the example last week. You know, a bright day like today, candles outside in the front yard, not going to do a whole lot of good. Get on and enjoy the sunlight, right? And so um, the, the comparison is not between evil and good. The comparison is between uh, the, the old covenant law and a better covenant. The types and shadows and then the real. The types and shadows and then the fulfillment of those types and shadows. So that's really the comparison. And to remember, and I'll say it over and over, the never to understand that the purpose of the law was never to be the Savior. God didn't say, this is what I'm going to give to men by which they'll make it to heaven. This old covenant law is what I'm going to give to men whereby they're going to uh, become righteous in my sight and I'm going to fit them for heaven. I'm going to save them by this law. He never said that. He didn't say that. There were blessings that came from keeping the law. They were genuine. They were real. And there was um, sacrifices under that system where God made atonement for their sins. But true forgiveness comes from the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. Okay? So let's look at this. The comparison between the first covenant uh, that had ordinances and a divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Uh, the first covenant, it's not, as I said, it's not the first covenant ever made. There was covenants with Abraham and covenants with Noah. But the first covenant here is speaking of the one with Moses. Where the Ten Commandments were given to Israel and to Moses and the law was given. Okay, uh, Service here, in the King James service, it simply it means worship. It means to give honor to someone that it's due. To give honor to someone that it's due. The ordinances here that are spoken of simply means the ceremonies are the rites. The ceremonies are the rites. Rights. And when it says here that that first law and that first covenant, there was a worldly sanctuary. Worldly here is not meant to, to be like, oh, that person's really worldly. Uh, in other words, like sinful and indulging in the things of the world. It simply means earthly. It means a physical, earthly tabernacle. So that's, that first tabernacle that was given, that Moses had built according to the plan that God gave him, was the sanctuary. That was the sanctuary, and it was it was worldly in the sense that it was just made out of of the things it was made out of. We're going to talk about it here in just a little bit, but it says there were different rooms. Now the tabernacle itself, and I was kind of surprised. I guess uh, I always think of the temple, you know, the Solomon's temple, and it was big and it was glorious, and it was the dimensions are huge. If you ever seen models and maps of it, it shows like a little replicas of people walking in the court or whatever, and they, they look like ants. The temple was big, but the tabernacle really wasn't. The dimensions were 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. This room is wider than 15 feet right here. So that first tabernacle, uh, it was also something that they would move. You know, they'd pack up and they would move from place to place as God moved them. But still, it was 45 feet wide, I mean long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. And I want to just read a little description of it 
from some studying that I was doing, and it says the first there was an outer court, okay, and the the area around the tabernacle was called the outer court. It was enclosed with a fence consisting of bronze post and then linen cloth stretched between it. So you just picture bronze post stuck in the ground and linen material stretched between it. That formed the outer court. And as the Israelite would come in, he would enter through the the east at the east gate. He would first thing he would come to would be the altar of burnt <coughs> offering. The altar of burnt offering. It was the blood sacrificial system under that law and under that legal system, where the sacrificial animals were slain and burned. Then he would come to the laver. The laver was a large bronze stand that was filled with water where the priests would wash themselves, their hands and their feet specifically. Then there was the tabernacle itself. And we looked, we mentioned the dimensions. It was divided into two compartments. Just two compartments. The first you would go into would be the holy place. It was 30 feet long. And the second was the most holy or the, the, the holy of holies. Okay? So you had a holy place and then the most holy or the holy of holies. It was smaller. It was 15 feet long. The outside of the whole thing um, was uh, animal skins that were waterproof. You know, they waterproofed it basically. Inside of that was curtains made of goats, hair, goat skins, you know, I guess fur, fur type of things that were on the inside of that. And um, that formed the top and the sides and the back. The front of it was embroidered, um, a, a embroidered veil. That was the front of the tabernacle. Now, there was different pieces of furniture, I guess you would say, in the different compartments. I just want to mention them. This probably isn't the type of thing we study all the time, but just to know it, just to, to think about it. When he went to the holy place, that was the first place, into the tabernacle, would, there was the table of showbread. And on the table there was 12 cakes of bread, one for each tribe of Israel. They would represent the different tri- tribes of Israel. And it was called the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence because they were set before the face of the Lord, like before His presence. They were laid out representing the 12 tribes. And Jesus is the bread of life. There's so many comparisons. I'm not the expert on it and don't claim to be. Uh, second piece of furniture in the holy place would have been the golden lampstand. It had seven arms reaching upward and hold, it held oil and they were burning, you know, um, morning and they were burning oil burning lamps. And then it was the golden altar of incense and on which the holy incense was burned morning and evening. Right? And then the priest had this censer which he would bring the fire in to light the, the, light the oil, I mean light the incense and to bring it in. And behind the second veil was the Holy of Holies or the holiest of all or the most holy place. And here God manifested Himself in a cloud. And it's the Shekinah glory that you've heard of. We're a bright shining cloud. And sometimes it would be so uh, overwhelming they couldn't stand in the presence like Moses and Joshua maybe would be at the door. Uh, of the, or the, Moses would go in and meet with the Lord and His glory and his, this cloud it did in Solomon's day in the temple as well would fill that place and it represented the presence of God. And um, that's where the Lord would meet with the priests. But it, in that, that section, in the Most Holy, it had the Ark of the Covenant. And you, you picture the Ark, okay? It was a wooden box long wooden chest overlaid with gold on all sides. 
and inside of it, it's interesting what was inside of there. There was the, the golden pot which contained manna, some of the manna that was to show God's provision, you know, where He took care of them 40 years and fed them by the manna. When they crossed the river and they entered into the promised land eventually in Joshua's day, that next day the manna stopped falling. You know, they fed from, they were, they were fed from the land at that point. But for 40 years, God took care of them. So that was in there. Also, there was uh, Aaron's rod that budded. Y'all know that story. I went back and read it today. That's something another time we ought to really talk about. An amazing story that took place. But when, when the people rebelled against uh, the Lord and the men of God, the priests of God, that was uh, Aaron and his sons and Moses, and they were trying to enter into things they ought not. They were enter, offering up incense themselves. There was 250 of them that aligned with uh, Korah. And it was wicked and he was rebellious and he got really lifted up and he didn't humble himself before God. And so God made this challenge and said, I want you to get, I want you to get one rod from uh, each tribe and bring it and lay it in the tabernacle and put your name on it. Okay, like this is from the tribe of whatever, Reuben or whatever, all 12 tribes. And they laid the 12, and, and Aaron's rod was the one that represented the tribe of, of Levi. And in the morning, they go back and they both bring all the rods out, and Aaron's rod had budded. It budded with buds and blossoms and actually almonds. The fruit actually came from it overnight. And God was saying, this is my man. Amen. This is who I want you to listen to. This is the priest. This is the priesthood. This is, you know, and this other is rebellion. And you need to humble yourself. And uh, so that was in there as well. Aaron's rod that budded. And the other thing that was in the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was the, table, the tables of the law. The two tables with the Ten Commandments. They were in there. And so I just wanted to... To mention that, then there was a mercy seat. The mercy seat was actually the top of the ark, and had these cherubims with their with their wings that were touching. They were they were facing each other, and that was the covering, and that was got the place where God promised to meet with the priest when he came in, and it was really it was like this one place on the whole planet where uh, where God would meet. I know people have relationships with the Lord, but this is one place where He promised to meet with the priest, to meet with the representative, the go-between between God and man, who was a man himself, okay? Levi or Aaron and one of his sons. And that's the place where it meets. So there's a lot represented there, a lot more than I've talked about or am going to talk about tonight. But that tabernacle was in use and it was the sanctuary from the time God gave the, the plans and it was built at Mount Sinai where they, where they were encamped around Mount Sinai, the children of Israel in the wilderness. They hadn't gone into the promised land yet. And it stood and it was used and it was picked up and set up from place to place until the building of Solomon's temple. Okay, David had prepared the, the way for the temple. It was actually completed in Solomon's day. And so the tabernacle was of was not used anymore after that. So I just wanted to spend a little time on that. But I want you to to read back in, in Hebrews. Let's pick up in verse verses. Uh, let's read six through nine. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle. That was the holy place. 
accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, that was the most holy place, went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors or the sins of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. That's very important. We're going to go back to it, but you understand it was the, 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 the Day of Atonement is what it's called. And in the Hebrew, is the Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. One time a year, and that was the priest only. Nobody else but the high priest who was ordained from the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron that was the high priest. And he went in, and they would never go in on that day without blood. It's the only time they went in and when they did go in, they would never go in without that blood sacrifice being made. It was made uh, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Now, I'll just read this. You don't have to turn. But in Leviticus, when this law is being given, it says, speaking about the priest, he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat, eastward and before the mercy seat. And remember, that's in the most holy place. That's on top of the ark where God said he would meet. Sprinkle it um, upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. That's what God required. That's how he literally would go into that place. And that, that was the, what God required at that time. And then he goes on to say that um, the Holy Ghost in verse 8 signifying, and so this whole thing, remember, it's a type and a shadow and a figure. And the whole thing, we have to realize that. We say, why did He do it that way? Why is it that way? And then it's all fulfilled in Christ. If we really had the time to break down every one of these, we could. We could break down the unleavened bread and had holes in it, signifying the nails that would pierce Jesus. And the oil in the lampstands and the light, signifying Jesus as the light of the world and the oil being the Holy Spirit. There's all these uh, types and shadows. And... <clears throat> It was always to bring people to Christ. It was always to represent Christ. But it says even in that day, the Holy Ghost, verse 8, signifying that the way into the holiest of, was not made, holiest of all, was not yet made manifest. It wasn't fully opened up yet. The priest could go in. He went in once a year, and that's what he, the way he did it. But um, it was not yet made manifest while that first tabernacle was still standing. It was foreshadowing it, okay? It was foreshadowing. I think it's very, very clear. And it says, which was a figure, this first tabernacle was a figure for the time then present that was going on while it stood, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. This is key. The gifts and sacrifices and the tabernacle itself, all that form of worship, could not make Him that did the service perfect, that means fulfilled or complete. Could not. It could not do it. Wasn't given for that purpose. Could not make the, him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now we'll talk about the conscience more in this chapter and in the next next chapter as well. It's very important um, that to, to the Lord that cleansing of the conscience. But when it says it's a figure 
It's just a picture, okay? Man cannot enter to God's presence except by a mediator. That high priest, that go-between is what he was. And he had to have the blood of a sacrifice when he went in. Now, these, this, this is really important. In my study, and I read this. These ceremonial offerings, everything, okay? The blood sacrifices and the way they were done and the incense and everything, all those sacrifices and gifts and offerings that were offered under the Levitical system, they were ceremonial offerings and they were designed to maintain the people in a position of ritual purity so that they could worship God, so they could still be part of the congregation, still be part of the assembly. And I just want you to try to picture it. That um, I'll give an example. If a Jewish person was to touch a dead body, okay, an animal body, a human body, they were to touch a dead body, they were unclean. doesn't mean they were horrible sinners. It means in this system they were not fit to go into the congregation and the assembly of God's people and to come in. There was something required, and we're going to talk about it more later. But this, the, these, these, these sacrifices were to make people ceremonially clean to where they could not, they didn't have to stand outside the camp while everybody else went to church. You know, they could still worship God freely and legally, and rightly, and that wasn't hanging over their head. So God made these provisions. And um, they had nothing to do with salvation or cleansing from sin, like cleansing the heart from sin. They had to do with cleansing the body and cleansing, making somebody uh, fit or, or ceremonially clean to where they could approach God and with the rest of the congregation and worship. It says these sacrifices were imposed until the time of Reformation. So let's look read this in verse 10. Which, which stood only in meats and drinks. Alright, these figurative, these other sacrifices. And diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. And that word... Reformation, it literally is until the time that Jesus came. And the definition of Reformation means to making straight, correcting a fault. When Jesus came, He made it all straight. When Jesus came, He fulfilled it all. The law which no man ever fulfilled, which is good and holy and just and perfect and spiritual, and He fulfilled it. And, and he, that was the time of Reformation. And He corrected the faults or the weaknesses that were under the Mosaic Law. And I want to read another uh, Scripture here. The Law and the Prophets. This is from Luke 16.16. 16. The Law and the Prophets were until John. That's John the Baptist. Since that time, Jesus said, the Kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. That's an interesting verse. The law and the prophets were until John. That's, that's how long it was in effect. The law and the prophets were until John and his preaching and his ministry, okay? And his baptism, it was until then. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled it all. He's the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so he says, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. 
If you start reading through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus went everywhere and they preached the kingdom of God. And the disciples early on, they preached the kingdom of God. And it says, and every man presses into it. Can press in by faith and lay hold on the Lord and come to know Jesus. So I want to look at a couple of Scriptures. Keep your spot in Rome, in uh, Hebrews 9. And two, two Scriptures real quickly. Turn to Galatians. We read some of this last week. Galatians, let's read 4, 1 through 5. Now I say that the heir, as long he is a child, as a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under the under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so he's saying there was a time for the law. There was a time for the law. Okay, And, and even though the children of Israel were heirs, those that were by faith, like Abraham okay, and David, they were heirs of the promises of God that they didn't fully... Uh, get the blessings of all that until now that they're with the Lord. Okay? And, and same for us as well. And so I'm going to look at one more Scripture in Galatians chapter 3, 19 and 20. I think we read this last week. Wherefore then pertaineth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Again, the law did not create sin. The law didn't make men sinners. The law made sin apparent. It made it apparent and noticeable. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So then again, there's the until. There's the until. The until that brought an end to it was not one day that people decided it was stupid. It, what brought him into it was Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all those types and shadows. He didn't just come. He didn't only fulfill all the prophecies about Him. He fulfilled the law. And He fulfilled all righteousness. Remember, He told John the Baptist, you go ahead and baptize Me. Suffer it to be so to, to fulfill all righteousness. And so He did that. And He fulfilled all that needed to be fulfilled to to fulfill the law and, and uh, to purchase our redemption when He came. So I want to keep reading back in Hebrews uh, 9. Let's pick up in verse 11. It says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a great and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. So this is contrasting the tabernacle we described a little while ago. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so, He's a better priest, it says, and it's a better tabernacle not made with hands. That tabernacle with the animal skins and the goat skins and all of the embroidery and so forth, that was made with hands. That was physically made to the plan that God gave. But Jesus didn't go into that tabernacle. Jesus was not the priest of that tabernacle. He was foreshadowed 
by it. But his tabernacle was one not made with hands. He says that is a heavenly. So basically remember the word tabernacle means sanctuary. He entered into the sanctuary in heaven for us. He did it for us. And it wasn't carnal. It was heavenly. And God didn't need any of our help. He didn't need man's hands to make it. It's something He prepared. And even Jesus' body, that sacrifice, a body thou hast prepared for me. The Lord prepared Himself a sacrifice when He formed by the Holy Ghost Jesus in the womb and brought Him forth. That was the body that He prepared. And He has a sanctuary in heaven where the Lord has entered in on our behalf. And so when it says in verse 12, and I love the fact that this is uh, past tense, but He says, neither by the blood of goats and calves. That's the Old Covenant, right? But And it was fine. But it didn't do what this did. But by His own blood, He entered in once. They didn't have to do it over and over. And it contrasts the annual Day of Atonement, which was a daily, I mean, an annual, remember that we looked at it last week. There were sacrifice, blood sacrifices daily. 360, I think the Jewish calendar is 364 days. but Or 360 days. I forgot. But um, there was blood sacrifices made every morning and every night. Some animal was dying constantly. Every single morning and every single night. That was just ongoing. Okay? For a burnt offering. Then I said there was blood sacrifice where people would bring for their own sins. Might bring a goat or a calf or a lamb. They were poor. They would bring a dove or something like this. But that was constantly going on. But look at what it says in verse 12. He, this He did once. Okay? By His own blood, speaking of Jesus, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So contrast this. Contrast all the blood sacrifices continually, perpetually going on under the law and the annual day of atonement, which was for the sins of the whole people and for the priest himself, that going on continually with once. Amen. With once. Okay? And eternal redemption, having Amen. obtained, past tense, it's over, it's done. The work that needed to be done to purchase your redemption is done. And it's eternal if we by faith give our lives to Christ and believe Him to be that sacrifice and the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of the world. God fulfilled this on His own without the help of men. He didn't need help. He, he purchased us with His own blood. Okay, And He obtained that. That means simply means He got it for us. He pro- procured it. He got it. Eternal redemption. And we know what redemption is. The price paid to redeem uh, specifically a person from bondage or from slavery. And He did it for us. Amen? He did it for us. And so I want to keep reading just a little bit further and, and cover this, at least these next three verses. Verse 13 and 14. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, I'm going to go back to this. The heifer, what is all this about? The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. 
you know, sprinkling the unclean, it sanctified the purifying of the flesh. And so there was, um, if, and I gave that example a little while ago, if, a, if an Israelite touched a dead body, they were ceremonially unclean. So what's God's remedy for that? How do they go from being ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and not able to enter into the tabernacle or to worship God to being clean? ritualistically clean to where they could enter in. It says they would offer, they would take the ashes, I mean it had to be killed and burnt, of a red heifer. And I, this is interesting, that I heard over the whole history of Israel that those ashes could be, if you burn a whole big cow, okay, a red heifer, and they would just take, they would save the ashes from it. And it would just take a little you know, just just dip your finger in it, basically, to so get some ashes on your finger. And it said they would if they would mix it with pure uh, spring water, like flowing water. So they mix the mix the ashes from this sacrifice of a red heifer that was burned, and they would mix it with pure water, and they would sprinkle this person who was impure because of touching a dead body, for example, on the third day and on the seventh day. And then they would be clean to go into God's presence. But over the whole history of Israel, there only needed seven, I heard, red heifers. Because the ashes would last so long. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if there's any significance to that or not. But um, I want to read this uh, commentary from my Bible. Talking about, he says that these things, these ceremonial things of the law, there was a cleansing of the flesh. Okay, we're not just talking about taking a shower. We're talking about to where God would say, "Now you're ceremonially clean, and can worship with the congregation." And it says, uh, "Let me read this from from this commentary." For if these carnal rites and ceremonies set the holy set the body apart and ceremonially purify the flesh of defilement, giving it readmission to public worship and freedom from temporal punishment of the law, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the Holy Spirit purge your conscience from an, and make you inwardly holy before God? The rituals of the law only cleanse the body, the flesh, but the blood of Christ cleanses soul and spirit and reconciles one unto God. That's a good way to put it. That's just... It's right on of what, what's taking place here. And so, um, the blood of animals, if the blood of animals could made a person inwardly clean and really washed our sins away, there would not have been a need for a further sacrifice of Jesus, right? So we understand that. And it could not, the Bible tells us it could not cleanse our conscience. Could not cleanse our conscience or purify our conscience. And our conscience is our moral consciousness. It's, it's an awareness of sin. It's knowing, I, I might could lie to, to Peter and he just totally believes me and trusts me and our relationship's fine, but inwardly in my conscience I know that I've lied. Right? And that doesn't just go away. You try to sweep it under the rug. I can try to do whatever I will with it. He doesn't see it. Outwardly I look clean and pure. And go to church. I got my town and all that stuff, but inwardly, the conscience is defiled. I know it, 
I know I've sinned. I'm aware of it. What can deal with that? Not a, a blood, the blood of a bull and a goat. Thank God that those people had the bloods of bulls and goats. And it was a temporary, remember, atonement or covering for their sin to where God didn't just bring judgment on them. But the real cleansing of our heart where we're washed from sin is by the blood of Jesus. And only by the blood of Jesus. And it says it will purge our conscience. It's... uh, How much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And we'll close with with this thought, a few thoughts right here, that uh, purge means to purify or cleanse. Okay? And right there in that one verse, and this is not what the study is about, but right in that one verse you see the Trinity. You see Jesus who offered Himself, it says, by, through the eternal Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. I don't understand all that perfectly, but the Bible says Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, offered Himself to God. That's the Father. So right there you see a Trinity. That's a good verse if you're ever talking to someone that does is oneness or something like that to talk to them about that Scripture. But it says how much more Will the blood of Christ purge or purify your conscience? Didn't, couldn't happen. Absolutely could not, the Bible says. The blood of those animal sacrifices could not. Taking that red heifer and the ashes and doing it all exactly the way it was supposed to be done would make somebody ceremonially clean, but it could not purge their conscience like what the, the blood of Jesus did. Could not. And it says, how much more will will the blood of Jesus purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And we always see this in the Bible. And and, uh, even this Sunday coming up, I'm going to talk about it a a little bit more. We're saved from something to something. From something to something. We don't just look back and say, I sure am thankful He saved me from my sin. We do that. But we don't just do that. He saved me from my sin to something or unto something. He says it right here. He cleansed my conscience and He saved me from dead works to serve the living God. And I'll close with this. Dead works are just that. Dead works are anything of that. uh, The wages of sin is death. It's anything of that old, carnal, sinful nature. This is what the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from. Your sin that you had in your life and committed in your life might have been different than, than my sins in my life. But we're all sinners, okay? I don't mean that. But what you did sinfully as a pattern might be different than what I did sinfully, sinfully as a pattern. But it's all dead works. It's all dead works. Anything of that old carnal sinful nature is what the Lord's purged us from. In our conscience from the dead works. That would include um, a dead religious system, you know, where you're trying by your own good works to justify yourself before God. And a good picture of that, when I think about the, it says that, you know, the Lord was said that a, a priest, a Pharisee, and a publican went to pray, you know, and that's that's account that's given there. And the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I fast twice a week. 
and I give tithes of all that I have. He, what is he? He's justifying himself. And I thank you that I'm not a sinner like other men, and I'm certainly not like this publican over here. That to me, that's not somebody like David who loved the Lord and loved the law and trusted in God and His mercy, okay? That's somebody that was seeking to justify themselves. Look at what I've done. Me. Look at me. Look at my goodness. Look how I've done it. Look how bad they are. And comparing himself to, to ourselves, the Bible says we're not wise. But the publican just beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God said that man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. And so dead works would be all the carnal, sinful things of this world, the worldly mindset, everything that he cleanses us from. But it would also include any dead religious works that person would try to justify themselves by. I believe it would include that as well. But he saved us from that to serve the living God. And we're separated from that unto the Lord and what He's called us to do. And I want to stop there. Next week I want to talk about, uh, we'll finish this chapter, chapter 9, and I'm going to start off in verse 15. If you're studying and reading, we're going to talk about the mediator. Okay? Jesus, it says in verse 15, and really describe it. What is a mediator? What was the purpose of that? And the inheritance and, and all those things. We'll talk about, about that a little bit next week. But let, let's just um, stand and worship the Lord tonight before we go and before we, we leave tonight. And I know that I probably could always go a little bit further on Wednesday nights, but I just feel like we just chew and swallow you know, what God's given us and think on it and meditate on it. But I want our altar call just to be, I would say verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. He saved us by His own blood. He didn't just cover our sin. He did cover it, but He didn't just cover our sin. He washed it away. And He's made us clean, not only ceremonially clean, but He's made us inwardly clean. That conscience is clean. And right now tonight, y'all, if you're here and you got defiled by some sin in your life, even today, even today, uh, an attitude, a words that came out of your mouth, worry, anger, complaining, rudeness, whatever it's been, and you feel been tainted by the world, and you've you've sinned or entered into some complaining, feeling sorry for yourself, whatever it may be, uh, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you tonight and cleanse your conscience, and you can walk out of this place tonight. Even though you're already a believer, but you can walk out of this place without that conscience gnawing at you and defiling you. You can put on a smile and I wouldn't see it. And I can put on a smile and you wouldn't see it in me. But the Lord sees it. He doesn't want it to be there. And you don't really want it to be there. So ask Him for a few minutes while He's playing. Take some time. Search me and show me. And then come before the Lord and be cleansed. Take some time. Don't just rush out. Come before the Lord. This is our church. This is our sanctuary, okay? This is our tabernacle. This is our meeting place with God right now, tonight. Meet with God. You need a touch from the Lord. Then let Him come and touch you by faith. Lay hold on Him tonight and take a few minutes while we worship.